Life Audio. As part of our Friends and Family Week, I invited on my friend Michelle Couchat, who's speaking about her new book called A Faith That Will Not Fail. I, I really think that today's episode is going to be a blessing for you as she's talking about 10 practices to build up your faith when your world is falling apart. And as we know, as we've been studying through the Psalm studies, those emotions are not unique to each one of us. And in fact, it's something that's so common to the human experience that her book really is a wonderful resource for anybody that might might be going through a difficult season. So I pray that this episode is a blessing for you. Hey friends, welcome to the Hearing Jesus podcast. Do you sometimes doubt if you're truly hearing God's voice or if it's really your own? And how do you know the difference? Do you ever struggle to feel confident in your relationship with God and what he says in his word? Do you sometimes feel stagnant or like maybe you hit a wall in your spiritual life? Hey, I'm your host, Rachel Grohl, missionary, author, pastor, and life coach, and I have been there. I too was doubting God's voice in my own life. I felt insecure about my relationship with Him, and I wanted to be obedient to what God was calling me to do, but I wasn't quite sure how to figure out what that was. I felt like I was wasting time trying to figure it out, and I just wanted a way to understand His will for my life. The answer for me was found in the pages of the scriptures, as I learned how to understand what they were actually saying. If you're ready to grow in your faith and to step confidently into the calling God has for you, then join me as we dig deep into God's Word so that you can learn to live out your faith in your everyday life. Well, hey everyone, welcome back to the Hearing Jesus podcast. Today I have my friend Michelle that is visiting us as part of our Friends and Family Week. So thank you, Michelle. Would you love to uh, just introduce yourself a little bit to our listeners? Absolutely, Rachel. I'm so glad to be here. My name's Michelle Cachat. I live in um, Colorado, kind of halfway between Denver and Colorado Springs. So I have a view of the mountains outside my window every day, which I never get tired of. I am married. I have six children, ages 30, all the way down to twin 15-year-olds. So, uh, And my 15-year-olds turn 16 next week, and I have another um, child still at home that's 16 as well. They're only nine months apart. So as of next week, I will have three 16-year-olds in my house, which is, <laughs> y'all can add me to your prayer list. And then in addition to that, I just, I'm an author, I'm a speaker, I'm an executive coach for uh, men and women who are CEOs, executives in business. And um, really my heart is, and this is kind of where it all boils down to, where I feel God has asked me to kind of stand in this particular area is in the gap or in the the tension between faith and suffering. So how how do we wrestle with um, our desire to believe in a good and present and powerful God and yet the reality of circumstances that are outside of our control and often um, very painful and difficult? And how, how do we wrestle with the two of those in that kind of place? And I do that through books and speaking, but I also do it through coaching people who are leaders and as they wrestle through those tensions themselves. So, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. You know, what we've been doing on the podcast as, as I shared with you um, is we've been going through the Psalms and we're, we're doing one Psalm a day. And the reason why I think so many people resonate with the Psalms is because there is so much human emotion and suffering is a huge part of that suffering. Yeah. And I mean, we see joy and Thanksgiving, but a lot of the Psalms are laments. A lot of the Psalms yeah. are suffering. 
And so, and even the Psalms of Joy and Thanksgiving, there's usually references to something hard. So, mm-hmm. the joy and suffering is usually an offshoot, or the um, praise is usually an offshoot of some kind of wrestling that has revealed or deliverance from the suffering. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That has revealed um, God in the middle of it. So, yeah, you're absolutely yeah. right. The Psalms yeah. are basically a conversation with God through the reality of life. Yeah, and I think that's um, a really beautiful space to bring you in to speak a little bit, because I was hoping um, you could maybe share a little bit of just your personal story and, mm-hmm. and maybe the reason why this is what you feel the Lord is calling you to, this space, this tension that you're serving. Yeah. Well, it's certainly not what I would have asked for. Like if I was sitting back asking, like going, God, I'd love to have this kind of ministry. It would have been a lot happier and easier. <laughs> I wouldn't have asked for the story that I got. And so really... um you know, the reason I'm in this space is because that's what circumstances have dictated to some extent. So raised in a Christian home, I have believed in God. You know, my parents became Christians when I was little, about six months old. So I've never not known of of Jesus. Like it's been a part of my heritage, my history. However, um, as I've grown older, I've come to realize that I had a bit of a, a, a false theology in my early years, because I believe that if you do every, if you do all the good things, you do all the right things, if you follow God and try to be a good person, then he's on the hook to give you a good life. And so I worked really, really hard to be a good, a good Christian girl, quote unquote, right? To, to follow Jesus with all my heart, soul, mind and strength, and then I would have a good life. And yet, as I became an adult, that's not what happened. And so through my 20s, 30s, 40s, and now I'm 51, um, I've had a series of consecutive and unrelenting um, seasons of suffering and loss and challenges and grief. And that includes everything from an unexpected uh, divorce and single motherhood, which I you know, was 20 some years old when that happened to step family challenges when I got remarried and parenting teenagers and adolescents and challenges that came with that um, to I've had you know, pregnancies and miscarriages and births. And I got all the dynamics around that. But really, ultimately, some of my most significant suffering came uh, when, uh, when I was about 39 years old, when a doctor called me and informed me that I had squamous cell carcinoma of the tongue. I had cancer of the tongue. And as someone who, first of all, you know, makes her living as a communicator, a speaker, that was pretty significant. Like it was right at the heart of my identity, who I was. But then on top of that, I was a young, healthy, active mom with kids at home. Um, It made no sense that I would have cancer of the tongue and that this is what my reality was. And um, as it played out over the years following, it wasn't just cancer once, it ended up being cancer three times. It came back three times. uh, And the most significant uh cancer diagnosis was so advanced and so aggressive that they basically gave me two weeks to get my affairs in order, put me in the hospital where they did a nine hour surgery where they removed two thirds of my tongue. They cut open my neck about eight inches um, where they took out vessels and lymph nodes and my submandibular gland, all of the inside parts, and then cut open my arm as well to take out vessels and tissue, all this. Basically I was Humpty Dumpty. They cut me all over, put me back together again, gave me about four weeks to recover from that very intensive surgery. And then they started external radiation and chemotherapy. Um, you know, without going into detail, uh, the doctors very clearly said, we basically had to take you to the brink of death in the hopes of maybe saving your life. 
And, uh, and that's literally what happened. By the time all was said and done, I had um, radiation burns, like third degree burns from nose to chest. I had uh, two thirds of my tongue removed and had to learn how to eat, drink, talk, swallow again, like from scratch, like a baby. Um, I had a feeding tube for six months where I got all my nourishment and, and water. I had a tracheostomy for almost two months uh, to keep me from choking. Uh, and literally my entire body uh, was carved up and uh, not the same. And then on top of that, that's just the physical suffering. Um, I was completely destroyed um, body, mind, and soul. I mean, I just, um, it was a crushing experience. And I didn't know somebody could actually endure that much suffering and still live. Uh, and in the years since, uh, it's been, gosh, eight years now, it took me almost two full years to come back to some kind of normal life. But the reality is, is I live with permanent disability and chronic pain and will for the rest of my life till I meet Jesus. And so uh, living in this tension of, you know, all these difficult things earlier in my life, like the marriage and divorce and single motherhood and blended family and church conflict and other disappointments and challenges with raising teenagers and all that kind of stuff. And then it kind of culminated in these triple cancer diagnoses in the middle of which my dad was diagnosed with terminal pancreatic cancer and died. So that happened in the middle of that. And I'm left, you know, this is when I was probably about 44 years old going, wait a second. I have loved Jesus my whole life. I have followed him with my whole heart. I have avoided all the bad things and done the good things. I've tried to do it right. What's going on? Is God mad at me? You know, is he angry with me? Is he punishing me for something that I don't know? Or is he just not real and not good? I mean, I didn't know what to do with all of that. And that's what's kind of landed me in this place of wrestling with. What is true faith? What does faith really look like? Not on Sunday mornings, but in the dark, scary middle of the night when you don't know what's going to happen. We're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to hear more from Michelle. It is a fantastic interview. And she talks about a lot of topics that I think are really going to resonate with you. So stay tuned. And, I, you know, one of the things that um, I think, thank you so much for sharing that um, and it's an incredible testimony. I think that you're here using your voice, your tongue voice. To, <laughs> to point people to Jesus. And um, despite the plan that the enemy may have had, that we serve a God that redeems and restores. And mm -hmm. um, I, one of the things I wanted you to maybe speak on a little bit is the idea of lament. Um, and not mm -hmm. just because we see it in the Psalms, but I think it's something that we don't hear a lot about it in our churches, you know, yeah. at least in the churches I've attended. And so for a lot of believers, even just the word lament, there's some confusion around what that means. And I think for some people, you know, depending on the churches you've grown up with, and I'm speaking, I guess, probably from my personal experience to lament, I just felt like it was complaining to God. And mm -hmm. And, and it took me a long time to realize that there's a difference between complaining about God and complaining to God. Um, and so I wonder if you could just kind of speak to that a little bit, because I think for people that may be going through difficult seasons, um, there's some confusion on, like you said, what do we do with this, this tension? that mm -hmm. we're living in. Mm -hmm. um, And I also think that there is this sentiment within 
the body of Christ that is false, it's false theology, but they will, people will often, even if they don't say it out loud, see people that are going through a hard time and think, oh, well, they must have hidden sin in their lives. Yeah. Must, you know? <laughs> and, and I mean, sometimes they do say it out loud, which is so. Oh painful. yeah. I've received, yeah, yeah. I've received yeah. the messages and emails of people saying, you know, it's because you ate that Reese's peanut butter cup that you got cancer. You know, you need to stop eating yeah. Yeah. chocolate or you need to, you know, and, and yeah. So it's, discouraging. So I guess maybe those are the two things I want you, and that's probably two different topics. So I apologize for throwing them out there at the same time, but they're related. So could you maybe kind of speak to that? And then also what, what lament, what role lament plays yeah, in yeah. some of that? Well, lament, let's start there because that's, what's really important. So um, let's start with this whole idea of lament to, to back up a little bit. You know, I remember reading verses like, um, First uh, Thessalonians 5, where Paul said, you know, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So when I read that, I thought that meant I need to go, oh, thank you, God, I have cancer. Thank you so much that I have cancer because you're God and this is your will for me is to be thankful for cancer. That's not what he's saying. You know, there's a difference between being giving thanks in all circumstances and giving thanks for all circumstances. Yeah. The first is an acknowledgement of the reality of God's goodness, even in um, bad or hard circumstances. And the second is like masochism, like, <laughs> thank you that I have cancer. This is so much fun. That's not what God is asking us to do. If that was the case, then in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before Jesus was about to be tortured and crucified, we would have seen Jesus dancing in the garden. You know, yay, I get to suffer. That's not the picture we see. We see Jesus agonizing in the garden because of what's coming. We even see him saying, God, if there's any other way for this to happen, you know, please, please take this suffering away from me. So, you know, we've so misunderstood at times and misapplied scripture and theology and put unneeded pressure and burdens on ourselves and others by expecting uh, a level of almost happiness in the places of pain. And that's not, that's not what we see in the Bible. So let's just make that really clear. And so what we do see is this practice of lament, which is so critical. And we've really lost uh, that practice in modern Christian circles. We've lost that. We've somehow um, almost shamed people for experiencing lament rather than giving space for it. All lament is, is a vocalization of grief. Yeah. You know, very simply, lament is always it's it's a vocalization. It's an ex, it's always expressive. It's often demonstrative. Uh, in other words, what we see with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is lament because it's demonstrative. It's vocal. It's expressive. You know, it said that he um, his sweat was like drops of blood. That was the extent of his agony, his grief, his lament. Uh, and so lament as we see in scripture and by the way the bible is just chock full of lament not just in the psalms but jeremiah is often called the complaining prophet because he's just lamenting for the entire book um the the letter of first peter by the way um first peter every chapter in the book of first peter it talks about suffering so it's acknowledging the reality vocalizing the reality of suffering we have the entire book of lamentations which is a book of lament like an entire book is dedicated to that and we see it multiple other places too so i'm i could go on and on but it's the basically allowing space for the acknowledgement 
of our true broken reality. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, and not pretending that things are better than they are, not pretending that our world is better than it is, but an acknowledgement of our desperate condition. This is so critical uh, for any kind of healing to take take place. We have to acknowledge that there is a desperate condition that needs to be addressed. Just like, um, you know, if, if I had cancer and pretended like I didn't and never went to the doctor, it would continue yeah. unmitigated. Yeah. Part of healing from cancer was to acknowledge that this was the reality of what was going on. And then to kind of say out loud, this is a problem. We need to deal with it. And then the healing can start. And the same is true for our souls. We've got to give space to our need for grief and to express our lament. Yeah. You know, I, it took me a long time to learn that. And, um, some of, thankfully, my goodness, you've been through the ringer for sure. Um, and everybody's going to come to the table and and that that's listening with different levels of suffering. And, and we don't want to discredit. I don't ever want to discredit one person suffering for another because we're all just, you know, well, pain is pain. Yeah. I mean, I think we know that because, you and I can get a hangnail and it can drive us crazy all day long because that tiny little hangnail hurts like the Dickens, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. We can go, I mean, yeah. there's paper cuts. How many of us have gotten a paper cut? We can't even type because our paper cut is keeping us from typing yeah. on our keyboard. Yeah. Pain, yeah, pain. But I think for me, I, you know, served in ministry for a long time and would hear things about like, okay, well, you just always want to speak life and the power of life and death is is in the tongue, which is, yes, I understand that. But it kept me from even wanting to admit to God mm-hmm. where I was mm-hmm. emotionally. And it wasn't until I started allowing God into that space of pain that, like you said, that I was able to start healing from it. And I think so many people bury the emotion of pain in so many ways, um, even if they're dealing on a physical level of pain, they bury the emotion of pain because they think that there's no space for it in their relationship with God. Um, and yet we know what, what the reality is, is God longs to be in that space with us. Like he, as a father, as a good father, not just a father, but a good father, he longs to be in that space with us. And I think that's been one of the most important lessons I've learned in different seasons of suffering in my own life is allowing him into that space. It's not that he's not there, but it's, I guess, a recognition that he's there as, as we're going through those seasons. So many people think that that's, you know, not, not what a Christian is supposed to do, that you're not supposed to stay in that place. But like you said, that's really that acknowledgement is the first step to healing from any of this. Well, you had mentioned the difference between complaints, complaining about God, complaining to God. There's, there's, we see Jesus again, do this in the garden of Gethsemane, where he's agonizing, agonizing, agonizing over this and not wanting to suffer. And then at the end, he turns a corner and says, but not my will, but yours be done. Yeah. And we see that same example in the book of Lamentations, where all of Lamentations 1 and 2 is nothing but complaints. I mean, it's just, I mean, the author of Lamentations is, you know, saying things like this is uh, Lamentations 3. Um, he pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughing stock of all my people. They mock me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. We could go on, right? It's lots of complaining. But what happens is it doesn't end there. And that's the key for us is there's nothing wrong with pouring out our hearts 
to God. That's what he's asking us to do. Jesus in Matthew 11 says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, then I will give you rest. He's asking us to bring our wounds to him. But we see in Lamentations 3 that we, at some point, though, it can't end there. We got to turn the corner and acknowledge um, at the same time of our suffering, acknowledge the never ending love of God. And this is what the author says here in Lamentations 3. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I will remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope because of the Lord's great love. We are not consumed. Yeah, yeah. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. That's the, that's the, uh, giving thanks in all circumstances. It's not that we're thankful for the circumstances. And I love that we can say, I remember my affliction and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I will call to mind. I will remind myself. And then because of that remembrance, I will have hope. God's love means that we are not consumed because his compassions never fail. It's this kind of, you know, um, holding them in tandem, right? We tend to think that um, sadness and joy are mutually exclusive. They're not. They're simultaneous. Yeah. And you can hold the sadness and the joy of knowing that God's love never ends and you hold them in tandem, in tension, and you end up discovering that both are sweeter as a result of them being simultaneous, not separate. Yeah, I love that. You know, that's something that I've been learning on a personal level about this, uh, this idea of tandemly holding two things at once and not just with suffering, physical suffering, but even in different stages of life, um, you know, like with, you know, you've experienced probably your kids leaving the house, like even at different stages of, of parenting yep. a daughter going, going away to college, I'm so excited for her, but so sad for me. And yes. I'm two things at once. And, and I think we tend to think that we can't experience one, you know, and the, uh, I mean, it's either one or the other, you can't experience both. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such an important point where we can recognize that you can hold both things at the same time. I think that's so powerful. You know, that reminds me of one of the things that I think um, that that I was reading in your book about how this, the, the idea of um, surrendering, you know, you, you had gotten your third cancer diagnosis. You were really forced to kind of just let go of your life and you're yeah. defeated and you're having grief and realizing that you're not in control, but then it also let you feel set free. Yes. And, and again, it's that idea of holding two things at once. And one of the things that I wanted to just maybe have you speak to, to is the idea of um, how surrender is not giving up. Yeah. Well, that's such a, that's such an interesting, uh, almost paradox, right? We feel like many days I have felt like giving up, okay? Giving up um, like I just, it was more than I could handle. Like truly one of my least favorite, um, Christian maxims that, you know, cliches that gets thrown around is that God will never give you more than you can handle. And that's just garbage. That's just not true. <laughs> um, I literally have been given more than I could handle more than once. And, uh, and I'm, I'm pretty tough and I'm pretty, you know, I'm a kind of, high achieving, self-determined kind of independent woman. So for me to reach the end of myself, it's really an accomplishment. (laughs) And yet God almost has to do that for me, for me to really understand his ability to carry me. 
Yeah. I'm so good at being self-sufficient and so good at just being that hard worker that can fix and tackle anything that to some extent I needed to reach the end of myself so I could finally be free. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so this idea of surrendering versus giving up, I like to use the metaphor of um, the way I kind of view it is like, I'm in the driver's seat of my car. Okay. I love to be in the driver's seat. I love to be in control. I'm a, a self-admitted control freak. You can ask my kids, they would agree. I, you know, I, I need safety and security. So some of my control freak natures are just my attempt to try to create security and safety in my life. I have a high need for that. Um, and so for that reason, I love to be in the driver's seat of my own car, right? Um, giving up though, when you reach the end of yourself, when you hit enough roadblocks or detours or, you know, road construction or whatever, and you can't go any further, you reach the end of yourself. It's really tempting to want to give up and giving up means getting out of the car and just saying, I'm done. I'm not going to go on this trip anymore. I'm checking out. I can't do this. And we see people do that different ways by numbing out uh, all the way to wanting to take their own life where they're just done. They can't do it anymore. Surrendering, however, is staying in the car, but moving over to the passenger seat and saying, God, you're in charge of this trip. I don't know how we're going to get there. I can't see a way through. I know that you have this promised land, this destination for me, but I I can't do it myself. I've run into too many roadblocks, too many detours. I can't do it, but I know you know the way. So I'm going to stay in the car with you and I'm going to trust that you're going to get me there. I just know I can't drive myself. I and that's, that's surrender. So hard. That's so hard for women. Um, but yet that's so powerful. I, one of the things that um, when you and I had been talking about this before, I, I didn't know if I was going to share it or not, but one of the things that I, that reminds me of is a season where um, I bought, I lost both my grandparents back to back and um, I was raised by my, but raised by my grandparents. And so for me, it felt, you know, like, like, oh, yeah. Dad and you felt orphaned basically, yeah, right? Yeah. And, um, and I remember getting the phone call trying to get up to the hospital in time. And, um, I, it was the middle of the night and I was by myself and I didn't, you know, I didn't wake up my kids. I didn't have my husband sitting home with the kids and we knew it was coming, but it's, you know, when you get that phone call, it's a shock. It's and awful. so I remember just being overwhelmed in my grief. Like you just can't, sometimes you can't even think clearly when you're mm -hmm. grieving, especially when it's fresh. And so I'm driving, I probably shouldn't have been driving, but I was driving. And I remember just like reaching over to the passenger side, like just kind of like praying, crying and saying like, God, I need you, Jesus, I need you, I need you. And it was almost like, I thought like, okay, if I put my hand over there, it's almost like grabbing his hand. And I heard the Holy Spirit clear as day. He said, I'm not over there. I'm right here. Mm -hmm. Get the seat with me. And, and it was one of the first times I, I it really kind of clicked for me that like, I'm not doing this alone. Even mm -hmm. if I think that I'm in control, even if I think that I'm doing this alone and you know, I've got to put on my big girl pants and just muscle through he's there. And so mm -hmm. that surrender piece, it's really the first step in, in even getting to a place of emotionally and spiritually allowing God to take control of those situations. Um, and I think the prayer that I have often prayed, and it's probably something that um, you have prayed too, is just, okay, God, I don't understand, but I trust you. Yeah, and exactly. that, that's so hard. That's so hard to get to, especially for women that are used to like, 
you know, we're taking care of the kids and we're working and we're doing all the things. Um, but yet he longs to be in that space for us. And I think that that's kind of the, one of the key things that, that suffering teaches us is that we are not alone. And, and yet, um, there's so many women that I think feel like they have to do it all on their own. And so yes. I, I think, you know, what would you say, I think to somebody that maybe it's not a cancer diagnosis, but maybe, and maybe it's not a daughter going off to college or, or grief. Maybe it's just somebody that is feeling overwhelmed. I think, mm-hmm. um, and you touch on this a little bit in your book. Um, so I want to transition a little bit. So maybe this is a different kind of suffering, but it's something that's really, really common that I keep hearing from women over and over again is um, church hurt in the area of, you know, that can be a huge amount of suffering for us. If we have allowed our church relationships or our church roles to define us Mm -hmm. when we Mm -hmm. lose those for whatever reason, um, that can be an element of suffering. And One of the things that I have heard recently in the last couple of months is even things like, you know, in a post COVID world where online church, which I'm thankful for online church because it, it's been a blessing to so many, but because of the addition of online church and that, along with the combination of just suffering in their relationships at church, whether it's at the hand of leaders or other people, um, it has drawn people away from seeking out community. And that's one of the things you talk about in your book. And so um, this idea of of how to seek out community after you've gone through suffering, or even maybe while you're still going through suffering, especially when that feels like it's an unsafe place. Yeah, sometimes church can feel unsafe. Oh, I so get that. I've had I write a lot about kind of church hurt in my third book, Relentless, where I just talk about these people who are largely to be credited for my heritage of faith were also some of the people that inadvertently derailed my faith yeah. in many ways. Right. And so wrestling with that, uh, and there is that temptation of going, well, that's not safe. So I'm not going to be part of that anymore. You know, that church people can't be trusted or churches can't be trusted. Uh, and the truth is, is, you know, we've know this, the church is made up of broken people just like us. So of course it's going to be dysfunctional sometimes. Yeah. Right. And it's going to be that. But the irony is, and this is, I've, I heard a counselor tell me this one time and I keep coming back to it. What is, what is wounded in relationship can only be healed in relationship. That's uh, Yeah. What is wounded in relationship can only be healed in relationship, which should not be surprising to us being that God is a God of relationship. He operates even before we came around, he operated in the Trinity in a community. So God by nature is a communal, community-based God, right? Just by nature of who he is, aside from us. But then on top of that, he created us and he made us, you know, you look at Adam and Eve walking in the garden with God in the cool of the day. It was about relationship. It always has been about relationship. And then if you look at the entire gospel narrative from Genesis to Revelation, Philip Yancey said, basically from um, Genesis 2 to Revelation 22, it's a story of God trying to get his family back. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what the gospel is about restoration yeah. of connection. There was a break in connection in the garden and the entire narrative of the Bible is God trying to restore that connection. And he does that by sending Jesus into the human experience, who's called Emmanuel, God with us, which is all about connection and relationship in order to restore what was wounded in relationship. So what is wounded in relationship can only be healed in relationship. So that's 
the gospel narrative, the church is just a microcosm of that, right? Mm-hmm. It's still wounded. It's still broken. But the reality is what you have experienced as a wounding, God wants to heal through the very thing that caused you pain. That doesn't mean you need to stay in abusive relationships. It doesn't mean you need to constantly go back to unhealth. But there are healthy people and there are healthy pockets of community that aren't perfect, but still working for that kind of restoration and um, and that embodiment of the gospel in community. And if you shut down all relationship, you're going to miss out on an extraordinary healing. Yeah. Yeah. That's powerful. Wow. Well, I, I really appreciate you spending some time with us today. I, I think um, as we have worked through the Psalms, one of the things that I keep hearing um, from women, especially because our, our audience is primarily women, is just um, the practicality of of understanding that um, Christianity and, and our walk with God is not always just this easy road. Like you, <laughs> you we, we the last couple of years have taught us, you know, we are not in control. Um, things <laughs> yes. are hard. We were not created for this broken world that we live in, but yet we still see, see God working and moving and healing and being present in our lives. And, and I, I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful for the way that the scriptures reveal um, who God is and his character and his nature. And then to see the the way that um, God has just brought you through such a hard season um, and to use you in a way that can speak to other women that are going through hard seasons. What would you just say to somebody that's going through something right now? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and maybe what are some of the things um, that like the practices you talk about in your book um, like, I think I had read it in your book, or maybe it was in, in some of the, the PR, um, information that I was reading through, but like when people were going through suffering, there is a tendency for them to think like, I can't just, I can't add 10 more things that feels overwhelming. Yeah, like yeah, like yeah. what, what, is, what good is that going to do for me? So, um, could you just maybe speak to that a little bit? Yeah, totally. Well, f- first of all, this book, it's tough. The title is A Faith That Will Not Fail, 10 Practices to Build Up Your Faith When Your World is Falling Apart. So that word word practices sounds like homework. And when you're overwhelmed, the last thing you need is homework. It's not homework. Uh, This whole book is designed to be um, easily accessible, digestible um, kind of encouragement to help strengthen you right where you are. So it's, it's not about doing. It's more about being. Being able to, don't you and I just want to be able to exhale and have some peace, (laughs) right? And so really, this book is broken down into tiny 50 chapters that's kind of like an exhale a day, right? Just to be able to be and sit with the reality of God's goodness with you, even when it looks like your world is falling apart and he's absent. And that's so critical because... Uh, the work is already done. This is, I have a note card in my Bible with these three words on it. It's Jesus's words. And it says, and I have it in this note card, it is finished. And it's a reminder to me that the real work of my faith is already done. Yeah. It is finished. And so this is really more, these practices are more about sitting with that and being with that and allowing those truths to strengthen your faith mm-hmm. than going and doing a three hour Bible study or, you know, browbeating yourself for not doing enough. That's not what it's about. Um, to the person, you also wanted me to speak to the person that's really in a hard place right now. Uh, and I know there are so many of you listening right now that are buried by your suffering and your suffering 
likely looks wildly different than mine. That doesn't make it any less real, any less painful, any less um, valid. To those of you who are suffering, first of all, I just want to say, I am so sorry for your pain. I truly am. Uh, I My heart aches with you. I know what it feels like to be so buried by your suffering that you are convinced you are completely alone and that nobody else sees you, nobody else gets you, and that God, if he's real, has forgotten about you. I know it feels like that, and I'm so sorry for your pain. That said, please hear me when I tell you this. You have not been abandoned. God has not left you. God has not left you. He is not disappointed in you or angry with you or punishing you by causing you this horrible pain. Um, He sees you, and the Bible gives example after example about the fact that God sees and hears our grief, and he is moved by our suffering. He's moved by it. It doesn't just, he doesn't just see it and observe it, but he actually feels our pain with us. Um, One of my favorite passages in the Bible is Romans 8. And I just want to speak this over those of you who are suffering right now, because it's so important to remember this. Your enemy wants to convince you that your pain is separated you from God, but nothing could be further from the truth. And Romans 8 Um, 35 says, what then can separate you from the love of God? So trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. That's a lot of suffering, right? So pretty much your suffering can fit in one of those categories. And um, Paul goes on to say, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It doesn't mean that you have to, you know, push yourself and bootstrap yourself through it. He's saying you can sit in the love of Jesus and that makes you more than a conqueror. And then Paul goes on to say, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God. That's in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That right there is about as black and white as you can get, no matter how bad your pain God love is stronger and bigger still you are not alone yeah thank you so much that's such a word of encouragement um i i think that's a really good note to end on and one of the things that um i would i always do and i would love for you to participate in is i always pray for our listeners at the mm-hmm. end of an episode and um I, I really just appreciate you coming on you speaking to some of these hard difficult topics i think there's not enough um, teaching on this in, in a lot of our churches or just people that are suffering tend to not go to church because they are in in the middle of their circumstances. And so it's a powerful way for us to be able to reach people that might not otherwise hear those Mm -hmm. words. So I I thank you so much. Um, would you mind praying and closing? Yeah, I'm happy to. Father God, uh, we literally are crawling up to you right now. There are many of us that are carrying loads and burdens that are too heavy for us. We just can't carry it anymore. And you have invited us um, to come to you if we're weary and heavy laden, and you have promised us rest. You have promised that when we yoke ourselves to you, attach ourselves to you, circle up with you, arm to arm with you, that you will help us carry whatever it is that is in our life. Um, God, we, we do not have the strength to fight the battles that we're fighting. We don't. We just don't have the strength to do that. So I'm praying for every woman that's listening today for whatever her battle is. God, first of all, I pray that her eyes and heart and ears would be open to seeing your reality, that you are with her right here, right now. And then God, I also ask that 
wherever she is right now, no matter how weak or overwhelmed that she feels, that you would strengthen her faith right here. God, we don't know how you're going to deliver. We don't know how you're going to enable us to walk out whatever is before us. We don't have any idea what the outcome is going to be. And so, God, we relinquish, we surrender the outcomes to you. But we choose to sit right here in your presence and trust you. It is hard. Some days we do not want to do that. We would rather do keep working hard and get our way through, but we have reached the end of ourselves. And so, God, we relinquish our outcomes. We surrender our outcomes. And instead, we cling to the person of Jesus. That's what we cling to. And God, we ask for your rescue. We ask for your deliverance. But more than anything, God, we ask that you strengthen our faith right here as we trust you with our lives. I pray for these women, God, that you would um, empower them, strengthen them, and remind them that nothing can separate them from your love. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today, Michelle. How how can readers get a copy of your book and how can they find you? You can get a copy anywhere books are sold. They're at um, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, ChristianBook.com. You can get it anywhere. Or you can just go to my website uh, and there's a book page with all kinds of information about the book. That's MichelleCushat.com forward slash faith. Uh, depending on when you order, we have all kinds of bonuses, additional content that you can get for free. We love to resource people exactly where they are. And there's tons of free resources on my side that you can have access to at any point in time. I would love to see you there. Great. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, Rachel. Hey friends, if you're feeling like you need a little bit of one-on-one -on -one after hearing some of the topics that we're discussing this week, I want to make you aware of the fact that I do offer life coaching and spiritual direction only to my podcast listeners. And so if you want to go to shehears.org and then go to the work with me section, you can find my calendar where you can schedule a time together. And I've done everything from working with somebody that has come through church hurt to relationship issues to spiritual growth and really just wanting to hear God's voice more clearly that is an honor and a privilege for me to be in that space with you. So if you want to find more about that, you can go to shehears.org. I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Hey friends, if this podcast helped encourage, empower, or equip you for God's call in your life, I would love it if you would head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. That's the number one way you can support my show. You can also join our free Facebook community or Instagram page where I share inspirational tips, resources, and prayer throughout the week. Hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you this week. Know that you are loved, you are cherished, and you are His.